On this episode of Come Pray With Me, I will be interviewing Professor Susan Monick of Jackson State University. Professor Monick is a practicing Baha'i. Baha'i is a monotheistic religion that was founded in 1852 by Baha'u'llah. Their name, Baha'i, translates to followers of glory. They believe that all religions are connected and that they build on one another. We will be exploring how the faith has evolved over the years, as well as the life of Ali Muhammad, also known as the Bab, who was a prophet who laid much of the groundwork for Baha'i. Welcome to the show, Ms. Manik. It's a pleasure to have you on. Hi, glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. I'm really excited to get to talk to you today and learn more about Baha'i. So my first question is, how long have you been practicing as a Baha'i? 50 years. I became a Baha'i when I was 15. Wow, that's a really long time. So how were you introduced to the faith? Um, if you can believe at a Presbyterian Pine summer camp <laughs> when I was a teenager, uh, my best friend turned out to, uh, to be a Baha'i. Uh, it's, it's sort of an interesting story. Um, you know, I'd had, I'd been, I'd skipped a grade and been a bit picked on as a kid. And, uh, I was kind of very eager to fit in. It was sort of my first high school retreat. Um, actually I was 13 then, um, and, uh, went to this retreat. And then when the chaperones left out came the drugs and I wasn't quite sure what to do at that point. And I looked over at my friend Lupi, who, by the way, was the only non-white person there. She was Mexican and she put her uh, Mexican-American, I guess she put her eyes towards the door and I followed her out. And then she told me about the Baha'i faith. And basically uh, what she initially told me was that uh, they believed all religions were one. I said, that's great. I'll keep my own. <laughs> but I did subsequently go to a fireside. And I think what most impressed me actually um, was when I learned about the life of the Bob, who was the forerunner to Baha'u'llah. It was so Christ-like. And I had read the Gospels. And when I read The Life of the Bob, I said, so what's the difference? Either one, was, one story was true or they were both true, but I couldn't believe that one was true and one was false. And so I investigated further. And by the time I was 15, I was ready to become a Baha'i. That's a pretty incredible story. I was really inspired by the the life of the Bob too. There's actually um, a book called The Prophet that's based off of his life and has been adapted into a musical and a movie. And that's how I was introduced to Baha'i. Yeah, actually I was loaned a book called at the first fireside I went to at firesides, are, <laughs> excuse me, very informal meetings where uh, we introduce people to the Baha'i faith. And I was loaned a book called Release the Sun. I took it home and I'd read it in, in a day and a half. <laughs> Even though all of those names were very, very strange to me. <laughs> the story itself just had me utterly enwrapped, so. 
Well, that sounds really fun. It's great to get absorbed into a good book. So what makes a Baha'i meeting different from other meetings like a church or a, a mosque? Well, I suppose the biggest difference is we don't have any clerics. Uh, you know, uh, we have no priests we, or, or any kind of, kind of officials. So anyone can hold a Baha'i meeting. And, uh, you know, for instance, we often have devotional meetings that are held in people's homes and they just decide to invite a few friends over. Um, the other thing that might be different is, is that often at a devotional meeting or at, say, a Baha'i temple or something, you're going to hear readings from various religions, not just our own. You know, we have our own scriptures and whatnot, but often at um, devotional gatherings or at certainly at Baha'i temples, devotional gatherings, it might be all Baha'i scripture, but at a Baha'i temple, it's almost always includes scriptures from other religions. You know, one of the reasons our temples have nine sides is to represent sort of the nine major religions and that basically everybody is is welcome to come here and worship with us. We don't have, um, so we don't have anybody like giving sermons or things like that, that you might have at a church or even a mosque um, and whatnot. I think those would be the primary differences. No clergy and often writings from various religions. That is one of the really unique aspects about Baha'i and out of all of the religions in the world, they have the most scriptures because they have all the other scriptures and they have their own. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they read them and sometimes they don't. <laughs> I guess that makes us like the other religions. <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> So um, you said earlier, that's why the symbol of Baha'i is a star with nine points to it to represent the nine. Well, actually, actually, faiths. I was saying that about the Baha'i temple, but we, there oh, are okay. nine, there are, there is a nine pointed star that often symbol is used to symbolize that as well. Uh, okay. So that's the significance of the number nine yes, to Baha'is and why it's, uh, sort of an important or secret number to them. Yes, and it's kind of a number that I guess you could say symbolizes completion or something of the sort. Not that the Baha'is think we're going to be the last religion. We don't think we're the first religion. We don't think we'll be the last. Maybe that's one of the things that makes us unique. We're the only religion that believes that one day we'll be obsolete. <laughs> Because we insist so much that uh, God continues to communicate us that he will never leave us alone. And therefore, we don't think in terms of revelation ever being something that will cease. Absolutely. And I'm definitely interested to see how these things morph and change into the future and just imagining what people years from now might believe or think looking back on this. 
So another thing that's really important to Baha'is are equality and justice. And some of the major prophets like the Bab, Baha'u'llah, and Abdul Baha were revolutionaries for their time because of their strong support for civil rights and women's rights. But what are some of the ways that Baha'is fight prejudice in modern society? Well, there were Baha'is that were involved in Black Lives Matter. In fact, one of the leading people in it also used to uh, do youth empowerment uh, groups within the Baha'i community. Sadly, he was murdered while riding on his bicycle in New Orleans. Um, oh my but, gosh, it's terrible. Yeah, I'm so, so sorry. yeah. So some of them might very well participate in some of the ongoing organizations, but we do have our more explicitly Baha'i inspired. I one of my favorites is called the Tahereh Justice Center. Tahereh was sort of the leading female um, follower of the Bob. I've written a lot about her. If you go to my website, susanmonek.com, you can read one of my articles about Tahereh. But uh, she was, you know, just like Jesus had the 12 disciples, the Bob had the what we call the 18 letters of the living. And she was one of them. And uh, um, she was eventually martyred. But she took off her veil, which was, you know, very shocking in Iranian society at the time. Uh, but in any case, the Tahare Justice Center basically is a legal center which provides legal aid to um, female immigrants. At first, it was doing mostly in Asia and Africa, but now that Latin America has become so important in that and women escaping domestic violence, the founder of this, uh, Layla. Well, her maiden name was Layla uh, Miller. I'm not sure what her last name is right now. But she took on this case of an African woman who, after her father died, was being faced with uh, a female circumcision and a forced marriage. And she was a grad student at the time, but finally took to the appeals uh, and one there. And it was the first time any woman had ever been granted asylum in the U.S. on the basis of their gender. Now, that got taken back under the Trump administration, but I, I think it's probably now in effect once again. But the Tahereh Justice Center didn't stop doing what they do, which then they also do things like help protect mail-order brides, and things like that. They've been active in helping to get legislation passed that would, you know, require that you have to reveal your criminal record, for instance, if you've, before you can get a mail order bride and things like that to protect women's rights, but especially the, the rights of female immigrants, which I think is extremely important right now. But that's one of the things, you know, women have so, uh, not women, but Baha'is in general do have social and economic particular concerned with protecting the rights of women, vulnerable women. Absolutely. That's really uh, important work out there. And I appreciate all that you and other people have done 
to help for that. So thank you. Okay. So another important holiday that's coming up is the martyrdom of the Bab. And the Bab, who's also known as Ali Muhammad, was the prophet who laid the groundwork for what would later become the Baha'i faith. But his life was cut short when he was executed by a firing squad for heresy in 1850. So uh, every July 9th on the anniversary of his passing, Baha'is observe a day to honor his life and teachings while remembering his martyrdom. So what ways do you observe the martyrdom of the Bab? Well, uh, this past year, like everybody else has been with Zoom meetings, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I hope, I'm hoping we're gonna have something live this time. Uh, normally what we would usually have is we would have a commemoration where we would talk about the life of the Bob, but more especially the events that surrounded his martyrdom. Um, and uh, I, I don't know whether you know the story. I, I suppose you do if you saw the if you saw the, a play and whatnot. That um, when the Bob was brought out to be executed, he was talking to his secretary, and uh, the man said, "You know, it's time to go." And the Bob says, "Well, I'm not finished yet, and before I'm finished, nothing's going to happen." And so he was taken out, and. Uh, a firing squad was made up of seven, 750 soldiers. Now they didn't all fire at once, but it wasn't unusual to have huge firing squads um, back in those days so that nobody, one person would have been, would be held responsible. And, uh, you know, these were old shotguns, which kind of made a lot of smoke and whatnot. And uh, he was there with this young man. Um, they were executed together, but when the smoke cleared, the bob was gone. The young boy, according to one count, was standing there unaffected. I said, according to one count, Muslims have slightly different accounts of it, but they all agree that that first folly of 750 bullets did not kill um, the Bob. And they went to look for them and they found him finishing his conversation in the barracks. Well, he was brought out a second time. And the second time he was martyred. Um, but uh, you know, that whole story, I guess, is gone through. Uh, you know, since the martyr took, took place in, around noon, we often have a luncheon that would follow that kind of a memorial service, you know, uh, given the time of year and, and whatnot. But often, perhaps one of the last things one would do in at least the part would be to recite a tablet which is called the Tablet of Visitation. And those are often recited um, on certain anniversaries, but especially anniversaries of, of the uh, passing of what we call a manifestation. You can call them a prophet if you like, that might be a little easier. But, uh, and, uh, the Tablet of Visitation is actually kind of comp a compilation of some of Baha'u'llah's verses that was put together. But uh, it's a prayer that actually we do have a little bit of a ritual. We don't have very many rituals in the Baha'i faith, but generally everyone will stand for that one and they'll face 
what we call the Kibble, which Muslims have a Kibble too, which is of course the Kaaba in Mecca. But we would pray towards, you know, the shrine of the Bab and Baha'u'llah in, in uh, Israel, which would be near Haifa, Israel. That's where Baha'u'llah was exiled when it was then part of Palestine, part of the Ottoman Empire. And that's, I guess, one of the major things that you would find almost in all holidays is that that, that particular prayer will get recited. So Baha'is practice daily prayer, and there's three different prayers that can be recited every day, such as a, a short prayer, medium prayer, and long prayer. What ways do you utilize prayer in your life? Well, to, to be honest, at my age, I've mostly been doing the short obligatory prayer because the medium and long obligatory prayers involve some of the same kind of postures that Muslims do when they recite their prayers. And I'm not so good at getting up and off the ground anymore than I, as I once was. You know, I, I, I know the long obligatory prayer by heart, but I just can't get up and down the way I used to, or at least I used to know it by heart. I'm not sure if I still do. Uh, so I tend to say the short one, which is just, you know, a very few verses uh, that I would recite, say, around noontime. Um, the long obligatory prayer, it's, I said it's different. It's like Muslim prayer because of some of the postures. It's unlike the Muslim prayers in that we don't do them in congregation. We don't do them all together except maybe with children who are just learning them, you know, or stuff. But under normal circumstances, we wouldn't do them um, together. We would do them only privately with one another. Uh, privately, we wouldn't do it together. Um, and I, I guess that's the major distinction. But, uh, you know, uh, they do involve washing one's hands and face, just like Muslim prayers do, and other kinds of postures. But the short obligatory prayer has no postures, and since I'm not good at them anymore, I've been kind of sticking to that one just later until I lose maybe 100 pounds and can get down up, up and down off my knees again, you know. <laughs> That's okay. I think we've all been there at some point. I'm not very flexible myself, so I would do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know, I'm 65 now. If I've been a Baha'i for 50 years, you know, I'm, I am getting up there. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but when I was young, I would off, quite often do the obligatory prayers, enough that I had it, I had it down by heart. And it is long. It's about four or five pages long. It doesn't take that long to recite it, though. Do you have any prayers you would like to share with our audience today? Well, I suppose I could give them the short obligatory prayer so they know what it sounds like. Normally, a Baha'i would say it's standing up uh, and facing the Qibla, you know, again, towards the, the burial place of Baha'u'llah. But it goes something like this. But I think it does. It's, it's good because it kind of, I guess, reflects our purpose. It goes something like this. I bear witness, O oh my God, that thou hast created me to know thee and to worship thee. I testify at this moment to my powerlessness and to thy might, to my poverty and to thy wealth. 
No God is there but thee to help in peril with self-subsisting. Actually, I often say that prayer in Spanish. I don't know. I got into the habit of doing that when I was in my teens and I kept on doing it. It sounds very nice in Spanish. It's very poetic sounding, in fact. Do you want to share it in Spanish for us? Yeah, it goes, uh, Soy testigo, mi Dios, que tú me has creado para reconocerte y adorarte. A testigo en este momento de mi impotencia y tu poder, de mi pobreza y tu riqueza. No hay otro Dios más que tú, el ayuda en peligro y que, que, que subsiste por sí mismo. But you see what I mean about it being poetic. <laughs> it sounds beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything else you would like to discuss or uh, talk about today? Well, you know, the one thing I might point out is we, we use the term prophet. I use the term manifestation and that term because I was raised a Christian. And, you know, as a Christian, you see Jesus as God. And we don't think Christians are wrong to do that. And that may be surprising to someone. But we, these figures that we call manifestations are not simply people who have a message from God. Yes, they're that too. But what we're, we call the manifestations because they manifest everything we can humanly understand about what God is like. God in his essence is unknowable. It's these people who are, who, who are knowable and through whom we, we truly can understand something about God. So you can say, yes, they're just a man. And, you know, like a Muslim might say about Muhammad, and yes, that would be correct. Or you can say they're God, like a Christian would say about Jesus. And from a Baha'i standpoint, that's correct too. And I think that's one of the most important things to understand. It's not a syncretism, okay? It's a very kind of different understanding. Now, from a Christian standpoint, what I just stated would probably be considered heretical and maybe a Muslim would consider what I just said heretical as well. But it is what Baha'is mean when we say, we talk about manifestations of God and why we may sometimes use the word prophet. When we're amongst ourselves, we prefer that word manifestation. I think it is important for people who are outside the Baha'i faith to understand what we mean by that. Thank you for explaining that to us. It reminds me of um, a video Rain Wilson did. He's the actor from The Office because he's uh, Baha'i as well. And he compared it to um, yeah. different computers and different systems. And so the different religions are like a different computer, but each computer that's existed over time has built off of the previous one. I think analogy a lot of Baha'is use would be, you know, the different grades in school. You know, your kindergarten teacher may teach you arithmetic, and it doesn't mean that when you get to calculus, your kindergarten teacher was wrong, or you learn about negative numbers and you go, hey, wait a minute, that's not what my teacher said. There's no such thing as a negative number, but you find a different, it's a bit different state of development. I'm a professor, and I study the history of religions. And one of the things I wrote my dissertation on was the Zoroastrian religion, actually, which is like one of the oldest religions in the world. It's only a few hundred thousand followers of this religion. I was with them in Bombay and whatnot, and there's still Zoroastrians in Iran. But there was a Zoroastrian by the name of Manikchi who used to correspond with Baha'u'llah. And he kept asking all, and, and of course, like any other Indian 
They got all these other religions in India because India has everything. And he asked him, you know, what about one religion says you shouldn't eat pork and another one says you shouldn't eat beef? You know, who's right? And Baha'u'llah always stressed, he says, be anxiously concerned with the age in which you live and consider its needs. But basically what he's trying to say is, is don't worry about um, this nitpicky stuff about what one religion does or another religion does. What are the needs, the age in which we live and what religion can best serve those needs? That's what we ought to be considering. I just hate to think of manifestations as computers. <laughs> That's a good point. I think yours makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> Yeah, and it's not that one teacher in himself was was different, but the age in which they lived had different needs, different times. If you go to the doctor and you have strep throat, he's going to give you a different prescription than if you have a broken arm, you know? So it shouldn't be any wonder to us that the divine physician gives different prescriptions at different times for different diseases. That's a wonderful way of looking at it. I'd never thought of that before. I like it better than the grade school analogy because it, that grade school analogy still has sort of one better than the other. What that's we true. really that's ought point. to be considering is what are the needs of the age in which we live and, and what's the prescription for the age in which we live? Thank you so much for being on my show. It was wonderful to have you. If you would like to learn more about Baha'i, Professor Monik has her own podcast called A Baha'i Perspective which explores aspects of the faith and how people use it in their lives. I also found the video, What is Baha'i? in introduction by Rain Wilson to be very informative and helpful while working on the podcast. <laughs>